Um, I'll um, talk a little bit more um, general, I would say. Uh, taking up, uh, for instance, uh, two recent books here, also published in the United States, the one by Robert Kagan, who talked about uh, America lives on Mars, while Europe li lives on Venus. Uh, I think this is uh, the, the one poll which I want to uh, dwell upon a little bit, and the other one is, is a book by Joseph Nye, Jr. about the paradox of power, uh, why the only remaining superpower still needs allies and friends. Um, coming back to the Mars-Venus notion, um, there has been now talk uh, uh, about a growing rift between the United States and Europe, and my thesis is uh, there is not a growing rift, there always was one. Uh, it was only patched over during, uh, during the, the period of the Cold War when we had a common enemy and everyone was fighting communism and was not thinking about the differences between ourselves. I want to point out uh, that there are basically two types of differences. The one is in political thinking. My thesis, to put it in a radical way, is our brains are wired differently on both sides of the Atlantic. <coughs> we have common aims, but we look at them differently and we want to solve them differently. And the other one is we have different historical experiences when it comes to the question of legitimacy of war and of war being a, another means of continuing politics, like Clausewitz said. So these are the two basic differences which were, as Robert Kagan, for instance, also observed uh, right from the beginning, because the foundation of the United States was in outright opposition to Europe. You must not forget that. The pilgrims left Europe, among others, because they were dissatisfied with mainly church life back home in England, and that was to be something else than Europe. And it has been there all the time. We forgot about it only during the past decades in the Cold War. And this, uh, uh, on the other hand, in, 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 in Europe, uh, a growing liberalism took place, skepticism, secularism, a real uh, division between state and church, which uh, in my observation, is not that strong here in the United States. You have a look at your one dollar note, then you see in God we trust is even printed on Mammon. So um, this is one of the basic differences, and the other one is, of course, our own experiences. We in Europe, we are simply fed up with war. We have experienced war until 50 years ago, and we have done away with it. And the funny thing is we basically took up also American ideas which were developed in the beginning of the 19th century, beginning with Woodrow Wilson and the formation of the League of Nations, which was a development banning war as a means of political, uh, for achieving political ends. Um, 
taking the monopoly of force, of the use of force, force which within states rests with the state only, at least in European democracies. Here, over here, everyone has, of course, the constitutional right to carry a gun, which we don't have. Um, so the idea was to uh, the use of force, the decision about war and peace going uh, into, into a, an international body like the League of Nations or now after the Second World War the United Nations. In Europe we consider an organization like the Organization of Cooperation and Security in Europe uh, such a leg legitimizing uh, institution. So. Um, we took up that idea in Europe, we developed that idea in Europe, uh, we lived by it, so the old Europe, I say it's a new Europe and it is something very new indeed, we are giving up sovereignty. We are giving up sovereignty in favor of a common, a growing common sovereignty. Whereas over here in this side of the Atlantic, there is still the, on the new world, we have still the old notion of sovereignty in a sense of absolute sovereignty. There is nothing between the state and heaven. We think there is something between, which is the rule of law and institutions like the United Nations. So that is one of the, uh, uh, the, the other big uh, difference which has been uh, has come to the fore during the past month in the context of the Iraq war and which explains a little bit uh, why uh, there was uh, oh, there were so many unwilling and when it comes I, I, I must take up that idea of Dominique Duchesne uh, that observation indeed the population of from Rumsfeld site uh, the old as well as the new Europe, uh, mostly about 80% of the pro uh, population, even in Poland, were against the war. This, however, does not mean, uh, which I am encountered uh, very often in this case, you, you have become weak, what happened to you Germans, what is with your fighting spirit and things like that. Uh, we are not ideological pacifists. But we think, we, and, and, and especially my country, I must say, we had um, uh, a little bit more than one and a half years ago, we were the heroes here in the United States. Because our chancellor, he took even the risk of a vote of no confidence in order to convince parliament that we have to send our soldiers for the fight of ter against terrorism abroad, which was a real change of paradigm in German foreign and security policy. Up to that maybe due to our history also, due to our uh, historical experiences and having been re-educated by the United States after World War II, we were convinced that war is really the ultimate thing in very special uh, uh, exceptional circumstances and uh, when it came to the fight against terrorism in Afghanistan, we took that step. What is overlooked here in the discussion very often is that we have 
All in all, almost 10,000 soldiers are brought in peacekeeping and peace enforcing missions. That we are, uh, uh, together with the Dutch at the moment, the leading nation in, in, in Afghanistan for, for, that for the current semester. That our contingent is the second largest uh, after the United States. So it's not a question of ideological pacifism, but it's a question of when to go to war and who is deciding on who is go uh, to go to war. And there our conviction still remains uh, that uh, it is not up to a single state, however powerful he might be, uh, to decide upon war or peace. This is a common decision. And now looking into, this in, into the future and about the alliance, um, uh, especially when it comes to NATO, um, I, I, I would like to cite one of our chief, uh, most uh, uh, well-known chief editors in, in, in Germany of uh, the weekly Die Zeit, Joseph Joffe. Um, he, he, he feared that uh, NATO might, uh, might uh, degenerate into a pool where the leading nation uh, is uh, picking the willing as it wishes. And I remember a few weeks ago, a very prominent member of our opposition party at the moment, the Christian Democratic Union, who uh, certainly uh, is uh, not to be considered a leftist or whatever, uh, Professor Biedenkopf, he also uh, um, in the Council on Foreign Relations uh, said we need back a basis for an alliance and the basis an alliance is uh, mutual trust, consultation, finding common solution and not being uh, dictated upon. So that is the problem of the NATO at the moment. Whether it is going to be an alliance again in the sense of a mutual discussion, trust and finding uh, common solutions. When it comes to European Union, um, I do not much add to what my colleague uh, uh, Shelf has already said in that context. I just want to point out that uh, uh, the standing slogan of our uh, Chancellor at the moment is we don't have too much United States, we have too little, too little Europe. And uh, certainly uh, it's no question that uh, the uh, United States and Europe, uh, and now I come to the, uh, shortly, briefly to the observations of Joseph Nye. Joseph Nye did described the uh, international relations, the present international relations, as a tri-dimensional chess game. The upper chess board being the hard power of military. And there is no doubt there is only one power left on this earth which is dominating and superior to all the others, that is the United States. The second uh, chess board is uh, another hard power, that is economic power, and in that chess board uh, there is already competition with the United States. And the fiercest competitor is the European Union. And we see it, to put it in a simple manner, uh, we see it presently on uh, the rise of the euro against the dollar. 
and others uh, are Asia, Japan, maybe China. So there is competition on that. And then there is a third chessboard which he calls the soft power, cultural power, that is the power which is able not to dominate and dictate but to convince others to do what oneself want them to do. And that is, for instance, your soft power is the pop culture and whatever. We are all Americanized in Europe and that is your soft power. And Joseph Nye pleads, uh, you make more use of that soft power, but on that chessboard, again, Europe is much stronger. And in the long term, it's not only the military power which counts. I all uh, suggest that you have look, for instance, at your balance of payments, which is to the order of three trillion and growing by half a trillion every year at the present rate, uh, which shows that uh, in spite of all the weapons and military power, you are dependent on others as well. And I think the future should show, and uh, hopefully this is going to be the development that we sober up all a bit, cool down a little bit in the polemics of the past months, and have a look on our real interdependence. I'm always conceding that Europe depends on her security on the United States, but when it comes to economy and soft power, you depend on us, and this is not wrong. Let's live with interdependence and make the best out of it. Thank you.